Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Hunting Land Man podcast. This is Slade Priest, your host, the Hunting Land Man. Rack buck down here on opening day. If you're interested in rack bucks and real estate and everything that has to do with hunting property, this is the podcast for you. Well, here we are, the Hunting Land Man podcast, episode 11, I believe, New Ryan. And we actually have New Ryan on the podcast today. He is he stepped up in the world, and he is actually in front of the camera, not behind the camera. You know, you've heard him speak in on a couple of them in the background, but he's going to actually be uh, in front of it. Uh, of course, today's episode is brought to you by Southern Ag Credit. They take really good care of our clients. I'm looking on the board right now, and I've got, uh, I got, well, I got a couple of deals going on right now with Southern Ag Credit. So they're always taking care of our clients. They're taking care of us when I buy stuff, or my family buys stuff, or our people in the office buy stuff. So they're great people to work with. Their rates are great. They're not the only shop in town, but they're the shop we use the most, and there's a reason for it. So thanks, Southern Ag Credit, for always taking good care of us. Today's podcast is how to set up your hunting property or your dream hunting property. You know, this is a topic that when I'm on the yellow buggy showing property or in the truck showing property or on the phone talking about property is, you know, what would you do, Slade? And look, um, I'm going to put a big asterisk on this. This is Slade's way. This is not the only way. This is not always right. I am not a biologist. I am a country redneck who's had the unique opportunity to be involved in a lot of hunting properties and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And so when I talk about how to set up a hunting property, remember, I'm not only taking from my experience. I have so many clients and friends that we're talking about this daily. We are in this conversation of setting it up and we talk about what works, common practices, and I'm constantly learning and stuff I do right now better not be stuff I do 10 years from now because that means I didn't learn anything. So I got New Ryan here because New Ryan um, played college football at Ole Miss and and didn't spend as much time doing this sort of thing as I did growing up. And he's always got a unique perspective of asking questions because he sincerely wants to know because he is uh, freshly engaged, congratulations, by the way, to Scott Lindsay, our – our, our boss and his uh, his future father-in-law. So um, he is heavily immersed in everything hunting and real estate. So he comes from a unique perspective of asking questions. So, Ryan, thank you for being on here. Thank you, sir. Well, we're going to dive right into this thing. So um, I'm going to kind of go through kind of my checklist. We both both wrote down a checklist of things to talk about and um, – and, and we're just going spider web from there. So yeah. typically, uh, you know, when we're selling hunting property or going on to a new piece of property to hunt, you know, the first thing we want to know for our clients, ourselves, is what's your goals? Your goals, 
to my goal. Everybody's goals is different. Your goal may be to see deer. All you want to do is see a deer. And if your grandson or son or brother kills a six-point, you are the happiest camper in the world. And guess what? There is nothing wrong with that, and that couldn't scream America more than you being happy on your own piece of dirt. Now, me and a lot of my crew, you know, I want to shoot big mature deer with my bow. I said big mature deer. I didn't say giant rack deer. Now, giant rack deer are awesome, but I also live in southwest Mississippi, and, you know, we don't shoot 180s every day. Um, and you know, there is, for instance, at my house right now, I've got a big seven year old that, you know, is probably gonna be in the, in the one thirties this year. And I am so pumped. And I told my wife the other day, if I kill him, uh, I will be no prouder of any animal over, you know, on my wall. Uh, and I've got several, you know, over like 12 over one fifty or 14 over one fifty, And I'll be no prouder of any deer than that deer because, First of all, it's going to be on my own dirt. I made the setup. I've been watching him for years, and, and it, you know, it'd be cool to kill him, and hopefully we do. Uh, so your goals and my goals may be different. You know, I want to hunt big, mature deer. I, with that goal, talking about goals, um, I like to bow hunt. Um, you know, I, I bow hunt most of the time, and I set up my places accordingly. Um, I'm a fan of big food plots uh the reason i like big food plots and you're gonna have some people that comment on instagram or on youtube and tell me uh you know i don't agree with that because i've heard had people have different opinions and that's okay but this is what's worked for me i treat food plots like this is a just a general thing okay first of all you got to have a grocery store to feed your deer you don't want a corner grocery store you want a rouses you want something big you want a walmart super center you know you want place where you can put food in the ground where year round you can feed your deer you can keep does in there and deer are just comfortable in big fields uh you know that is that is ideal if you can do it on your piece of property. So, and also, okay, that's that's year round. But let's talk about when we're hunting, doing a lot of hunting during the rut, Christmas holidays, that sort of thing. We want to keep a lot of does and deer in there feeding to attract outside deer, outside bucks that may not live on your property. And look, how do you attract? 19-year-old boys is what I call uh, call bucks during the rut. You put a lot of girls in the field. And Ryan's a lot closer to 19 than I am, so that's why he's giggling. Uh, speaking of anything I just said, you have any questions about I know you've heard me speak this stuff all the time. You have any questions about any of that? I mean, yeah. Also, going back to what you had said earlier, you know, yeah, I got a different perspective being that you know, I played football. Football was my niche for so long, but I also feel like, you know, coming in from a different perspective of my generation being, you know, we are now crossing the threshold into, okay, now we potentially, you know, we get, we're potentially being able to look at different places that we're going to be buying for the first time. And, you know, it's something completely different. Whereas, you know, we were helping our granddads or our dads fixing plots and stuff like that. Whereas now we're coming into, okay, now, we're getting to where we can buy a new property. We can buy a property for ourselves and be able to turn it into something brand new, see it in a different perspective and doing stuff like that. So I feel like my questions may differ also from that perspective also, but I would say, you know, first things first, you know, you said big food plots and all that. You've done it for a long, long time. You've seen a bunch of different things. You've seen a bunch of different ways it's been done. What do you think is the number one thing, hands down, in terms of managing your deer? Pressure. People think that there is this mythical, mythical briar patch on their place where there's a hundred different deer that live that you're not getting on camera and things like that. Guess what? It doesn't exist. Now, the random bucks come through and anything can happen and, and deer come from five and six and eight and 10 miles away. Absolutely happens every year. By and large though, what you're getting on camera, what you're doing on your place is what's there. There is not this huge, there's not this, this huge thing with deer management. We put so much, Oh, this is right. This is wrong. This is the deal. Quit pulling the trigger And guess what? God designed this thing where it takes care of itself a lot of times. Now, you know, do you need to shoot some more does? Do you need to do all this kind of stuff? Uh, You know, probably. 
Um, you know, I think honestly, I think in, in Mississippi and Louisiana, we've shot too many deer. My theory behind that is, and this, I mean, you've never talked about this, Ryan, and I've actually talked about some of the head biologists with QDMA about this. Um, whenever I was young, you probably, you probably even don't even know, and we're not that far apart in age, but whenever I was little, me and my little brother would sit on both sides of the car, probably not in seatbelts, when we left Tatum and went to our house in Centerville, and we would see who could count the most deer. Now, you could do that right now, and you may who could see who could see a deer in a month. There's not deer like we used to. So the theory behind it was we're going to shoot. This is you used to just have doe days and, and things like that. We were going to shoot the does way down. Food was going to come up. The bucks was going to be bigger. And, and that may have happened. But the big asterisk to that happening is that we have a... Uh, we're also way better with deer management because of outdoor TV and trail cameras and all the things everybody's wanting to be in deer management. So that's a, that's a muddy water in there that, that that's saying that that's what caused it. Um, you know, I, I think by and large, we're shooting way too many deer on my personal places. We shoot a couple of those, have fun. absolutely love it, but we don't just smack them. Uh, you know, and these, this is low fence places I'm talking about, you know, it's a totally different ball game when you got a high fence or something like that. But uniquely you said you know y'all are coming in and 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 the younger generation not me and my friends or some of them you know we have just started buying our hunting property your generation i say a generation away from me you're you're looking into the i guess the um the dream right now the dream so let me learn as much as i can about the dream so when i get there i know what i want i pick on ryan all the time when we look at places he says i man, i this, i love this place i want this place and the other day i said well you've spent four million dollars today <laughs> but um you know getting back to uh getting back to uh, on our list on goals so first of all let's figure out your goals all right i'm gonna take it from um my perspective, I, I like big food plots. I want to shoot. Uh, I want to shoot big deer with my bow. All right. Let's say you're of those same goals. All right. First of all, are you? Do you lease your property? Do you own your property, or is it permission? Because you've got different things, and, and and I have all three. I have property I own. I can do whatever I want to within my budget. So that's cool. Uh, and it takes time, and the budget is only so much every year. And 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 you know you can get overwhelmed trying to do too much at one time. Um, you know, if you lease property, usually in Southwest Mississippi, you're stuck with small food plots. So exactly opposite of what I said. Doesn't mean you can't kill deer and have big deer, but small food plots and, and, and on permission farms, it's a lot like a lease farm. You usually can't do too, too much just in respect for the landowner. Um, let's talk about, you know, we, we, we said, we said lease. All right. So you lease a 200-acre block of uh, Plum Creek land or company land or, or your brother-in-law's cousin's land, whatever, you name it. All right, you got small food plots laid. All we can plan is the loading ramps and the loading decks for food plots. You know, we can't do a lot. And look, I get it. Now, you're watching this podcast. You may not like putting out corn and shooting deer over corn and feed. I prefer to hunt like that. Call me whatever. Oh, Slade, you ain't a good hunter. You can't kill a deer. I can kill him any way you want to. I like to shoot a deer with corn in his mouth. I do. It's just fun. Now, do I when I go to the Midwest of Missouri and I'm just hunting, you know, hunting trails and, and my if I got to plant food pots? Absolutely. It's a totally different avenue. But I love hunting around here at the house and that's how we hunt. I like I may I may watch my cameras. 99 times and hunt one time type of guy i tell people i say if you see me going to the stand with my bow around the house i'm gonna say there's a 65 70 percent chance i'm gonna see him um unless i'm going to shoot a doe or something you know something like that so you know i really watch my camera so let's go back go back to the lease all right you got a lease so we're gonna we're gonna plant what we can do what we can but also at the same time we're gonna realize that we can't do too much uh, so we're going to light on a lot of feed, uh, you know, if that's trough feeders or spin feeders or, 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 or whatever, we're going to light on our cameras, um, get somewhere where we can access good and, uh, and we can get in there to put feed out and, and try not to blow out the woods every time we go in there. Every place is going to be different, but I think if you're on a lease piece of property that you can't do big food plots and stuff like that, it's hard to get big bucks and a lot of deer in a 
eighth of an acre logging ramp. And, and a lot of people out there are dealing with this. And it is. It's hard. Uh, but we sell land every day. So work a little harder and we'll, we'll get you on some land and you can do what you want. <laughs> All right. Uh, permission forms, a lot the same way. I have some permission forms that I hunt, one that I hunt a lot. And, uh, you know, I do, I can do a little more than a lease place. But, uh, you know, I'm very respectful of that relationship and uh, as anybody should be. And I can't, um, you know, I, I can't do, I rely on feed a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, we do do some plots and stuff like that, but it's very limited. All right, let's go back to you own a piece of property. You bought a piece of property from me or, or somebody at the office or, or you name it, and you're trying to set it up unbelievable. Well, when you're looking at your property, you need to say, okay, what are my goals for my property? Does this property fit what I want to do? Okay, I've established all that. Now I bought the property slate. What are we doing next? I'm, a, I'm looking at it right now. I'm a huge fan of Onyx. They're a sponsor of the show. Um, you can do 95% of your work if you know what you're doing. And, 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 and you got you know, that's a learned thing if you know what you're doing. So what we do, I get on a piece of property. I look at, I pull up the hybrid mode so I can see the, uh, I can see the timber plus I can see the contours of the, um, the lay of the land. I figure out, all right, how are we going to lay this place out? How many plots do we need? And that goes back to goals too. Are you going to have two people hunting, four people hunting, or do you need 15 people hunting? Because yes, Slade likes really, really big plots and less of them. But if you've got a bigger hunting party, we may have to adjust that a little bit to fix your hunting property. Um, and, and, and nothing wrong with either one. You may buy 200 acres and say, I need to hunt six people on it. Well, we may need to have more than four food plots, you know, if you get a normal hunting party of six, just because that's how your hunting property, your family, whatever is. Um, so we're going to get on X. We're going to figure out, we're going to lay it, lay it all out. I do it on my, on my laptop or on my iPad. I download that on, offline on my phone. So when I get there, I don't have to worry about service or anything like that. Now, if you're logged into your Onyx on any of your accounts, it'll come to all of your accounts. So when we get out on the ground, I said 95 on the computer. We're going to fix the next five. We're going to go. We're going to confirm on our phone. Okay, okay, this is a good location. You know, I should have moved this plot a little bit farther. I didn't realize this big ditch was as big as it was. I didn't realize that this plot was going to come this close to the other plotter. You name it. Um, we're, uh, we're actually working on this for our client about four miles south of my house right now. We're closing end of next week, and um, we're going to be uh, doing this exact thing for him. So it's a, it's a pretty unique. And speaking of that, one of our listeners, he actually uh, suggested that we do this topic. So it's a cool topic to do. All right. So um, we're going to go in. We're going to figure out where we're going to put all these plots and things like that. Somebody's probably asking out there, Slay, what's a big food plot? Um, I'm going to say a big food plot's anywhere. In, it's got to be bigger than two acres. I like a three to five acre food plot. Like at my house, I've got a three acre, a little over two acre, and then I've got a 11 acre pl- plot field, dove field in my front yard. And that's really the grocery store to attract everything from everywhere and it's it's working i was looking at pictures a while ago that came through on my coverts and it was uh i had seven bucks standing at the feeder last night so it, it's definitely working you know bringing in a lot of a lot of deer that know there's food there and and i tell you what since i start i started with feed and of course did food plots and since i started doing that man there's just the numbers of deer that keep coming back i heard lee lakowski do a podcast one time and he and this is really for the Midwest, but it applies down here too. If those deer, when they're young, come and know there's always feed, there are always does, there are always other deer congregating on your place, they're going to continue to visit. It, and if if you've ever put out a bunch of feeders or anything like that, you know that first year is good and the second year, and it's like they just get used to, okay, this is food. It's kind of like a... You know, it's kind of like an acorn tree. They know it's going to drop good every year. They know that here's where they come for food, congregation, does, you name it. Ryan, any questions about any, uh, anything I've said? Um, I would say, and I'm going a little bit, you kind of took off one of the questions I'd actually written down, which is good. I mean, I had wrote down almost verbatim, you know, you buy a new property, completely raw, brand spanking new property, you know, what's the process? Mm-hmm. And that's just, I mean, going bullet point by bullet point, you pretty much just answered the question. So, 
Well, one um, one thing uh, is talking, you know, talking about getting a new property. Some of these properties that you may buy may not be a hundred percent raw. Definitely take that into consideration. Get as much information as you can out of people that have hunted in the past. Because listen, things that you think you know about deer, they will prove you wrong in a heartbeat. So, any knowledge that you can figure out, you know that that's going to help you with this process of laying it out. Um, you know, if a place already has some food plots, it's going to be more economically feasible, you know, to add to those if possible, or uh, or incorporate those into your into your setup. You know, maybe you ha- maybe you have some small food plots in a place you know you're gonna make big ones. Maybe we just do uh, chufa patches for turkeys or own those small food plots, or maybe we just do um, feeder locations or just native grass locations. Or you know, there's there's a lot of things you can do, and and that's one cool thing about land ownership, man. You can always be playing with it, seeing what works and what doesn't work and, 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 and spend a lot of money and time and have a lot of fun. But, um, all right, we're going to keep going down this list. All right. Budget wise, we talked about budget, you know, um, you can spend as much money as you want, but I get the question on the buggy all the time. Slay, what's it cost to make a food plot? It's kind of like the question, what's it cost to build a house? You can build a $10 million one and you can build a, you know, a, a $10,000 one. Um, you know, it's all going to depend on the timber. Uh, you know, if you've got a place with timber on it, of course, if if you're not getting that timber cut, you know, it's sometimes small, hard to get small timber lots cut, and it's just easier just to go and, and push them down. You know, it costs a lot of money to dig up those stumps. Something that's been super beneficial for me is if I've got some junk timber that ain't no good or an area that's grown up in briars or maybe a clear cut, I can take that and turn it into a food plot way cheaper because usually we can do some mulching or less dozer work or maybe those stumps are more rotten so they're easier to get up with dozers and excavators. But um, that always included budget. And what I tell people is, you know, if if most people, money is a thing. Some people just spend what they want. You know, if take it inch by inch and that way you can you can see what works okay we did this this year we really like this um let's do more of that sort of thing um <clears throat> getting getting back to the uh the budget and just take taking it taking it slow figuring out what what works um let's talk about we're talking about how much it costs to do these things let's talk about food plot design this is so underlooked do not go out there and just make a big square, a big round food plot. I mean, yeah, I guess sometimes, you know, on my place, my big fields, big, big rectangular field. Uh, but, you know, like for me, for bow hunting, man, if you can hourglass that thing or put a little neck that you know deer are going to come out in by a thicket or if you can just do any kind of contour to make it where those deer got to come by you. And even rifle hunting, uh, something even more important than that with design is I, I can't believe I didn't get to this already, is ingress and egress. We talked about pressure. Number one thing, ingress and egress. Okay, typical guy, uh, if he gets to take off on Friday or if he's just going to hunt the weekend, all right, he's watching his cell cameras. He either checks them when he gets there or hopefully he's running some coverts or, or trail cam. I mean, cell cams. He knows, good Lord, man, this deer, every two or three days, he's in there in daylight. What's going to affect him? Weather, rut, food, but main, we can usually, you know, we know when the rut is. We can put the food there. Um, the weather, we're watching the weather patterns and hunting on good days. That's normal stuff. What affects more deer than anybody is what you are doing. Let's eliminate that. All right. First of all, we're going to make sure our wind's right. Now, and look, and look, you can get away, especially rifle hunting these days, with a really good box stand, close windows, leave one open, and put a uh, some type of ozone system in your, uh, you know, uh, if it's the Scentlock or the Ozonics, or, you know, there's a bunch of companies that make them. And, and you can get away with a lot, especially from rifling standpoint. What I like to do, go ahead. Now, I was going to say you were kind of, you're intertwining this also, because designing the food plots also has a lot, you, you know, you you take into consideration the wind and everything like that, let alone where box stand placement and all that stuff is, correct? Correct, correct. And so you need to, of course, the wind's going to blow from four different directions, you know, and they, you know, at different times. You need to take in consideration, you need some south wind stands, you need some east wind stands or whatever. Uh, now, 
plot, uh, the pro- property, like I had a property in Missouri that, man, was just really hard to hunt on the north wind. And sometimes you just deal with that and you do what you can mm-hmm. where you can. Uh, you can't affect everything. But um, the ingress and egress, what I was talking about. So you watching your cell cams, you're watching your cell cams, you're watching your cell cams, you know that this deer comes out every four or five days in this field, you know, whenever you're not there. Okay, so let's create a scenario where you don't affect that. All right, we're going to hunt the wind, right? So if you're rifle hunting, let's say, um, let's make the field where you can get in and out your box stand without the deer even knowing there. So you get there on Thursday afternoon, the buck doesn't come in, but you see a lot of deer. If your box stands in the middle of that food plot and you get down, guess what? You're going to spook everything, and tomorrow it is not fresh, and so on and so forth. You hunt it four or five days in a row, guess what? You ain't hardly seeing nothing. Um, now, sorry to interrupt you, but when when you say not fresh, for, yeah, I've heard you say it multiple times, but for those who may not know, when you mess up a property like that, when you mess up and scatter deer out and it's no longer fresh, how long until you can consider it fresh again? Man, you, every deer is different, man. You could you could spook it out one day and that sucker may not come yeah. back yeah. for a month or, or at all. Yeah. I mean, you never you never know. Yeah. Um, you just you never know how it's going to affect them. But if we take that out of the equation. You we can take that how yeah. long it affects by the equation. Yeah. So if we set up your plot where you can get in and out of, and you can't do all of them, but if you can get in and out of without spooking, guess what? You go here, you see them, you crawl down, guess what? Fresh tomorrow, fresh tomorrow. And then it just becomes a mathematical equation. Yeah. We know he comes in the field undisturbed every four or five days, and guess what? You go four or five days, boom, you kill him. It works like a charm. It's one it, food plot design in that way with your with your ingress and egress and your how much you pressure it is huge. Now bow hunt's a little different. Uh, of course, we're trying to get deer in 20, 30, 40 yards. It's hard to get out of a stand. Um, I mean, it's 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 a huge. That's why I watch my cameras bow hunting so much because when I go, I want to kill him because yeah. if he's standing out there in the and plot leave, and it gets dark yeah. and I leave, I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, I do things as much as I've got my wife to drive up to the field and turn around to spook them because they're used to seeing vehicles where, where my place is. I've got a hog sound app on my phone that makes hog sounds. Uh, I've actually <laughs> thought about getting my I've thought about getting my Fox Pro and putting uh, out there where I can make other animal noises at a different spot to spook them <laughs> off. I mean, um, something I'm doing this year uh, right in front of a couple of my bow stands at my house. I'm doing the uh, the new backwoods attraction shield. It's Egyptian wheat and some other things grows seven ten feet tall, and that way once I get a little bit out my stand, they can't see me going out. That kind of stuff is getting more and more popular, and it really really works. Me and my guides over the years, we've done stuff like um, in front of our stands, bow and rifle. We'll go and cut all kinds of bushes, and we've tied them up. That way, when you take one step below your stand, you're covered. And we rake, we've we raked our trails and blown them with blowers so we can cr- go, you know, 100%. Now, it's hard to get out, especially when we're filming with two people, but I've done it a bunch of times, deer 40 yards, and you just see he's out. And once, you know, once it's dark, and you, I mean, you may make a little noise on that rake trail or something like that, but they're used to a, a, That's not going to mm-hmm, affect them mm-hmm. as much as light in the stand and four wheeler cranking you know the completely blowing them out so affecting them in this way and setting up your plots in this way is huge now you can't always do that there's some of them that you just you got to drive through or walk through and especially you know when you're on a, a lease property or something like that and you know you do what you can do what you can where you can um all right so we talked about food plot design i think they need to be I think they need to be big enough to have plenty of groceries, plenty of deer in there, even if you're bow hunting. If you're rifle hunting and you're exclusively rifle hunting, make them as big as your budget. Uh, my best field my, I've ever hunted uh, is at Tatum. It was a nine-acre field, the suicide field, still the number one field. Now, it is a high fence now, but guess what? Before it was a high fence, back when I was in high school, you could see 50 deer there on a good afternoon in December. Literally 50 deer there on a good afternoon in December big field if you were on the north end of that place the bucks on the north 1500 acres of that place at some point during the rut they were going to come there because they knew listen what i just said 1500 acres 
at some point they knew that they were going you know you were going to see every buck from the north end of that place there and it's just crazy how a big field with food and a lot of deer will do that and that's another field that kind of taught me a lot of this is ingress and egress mm-hmm. i can park my truck right top of the hill i can get in and out every day also something i didn't even mention is how many of us can't get to the stand at four till four thirty because we had to pick up the kids or we we're at work or something like that? Something. So if you can get in with five deer in the field, guess what? Even better. Or, or or at my house where my um I have one box stand on my food plot that is uh or actually both of them that that I can get in and out of without spooking them, and it's more of kind of a rifle observation stand, and I get in there thirty minutes before dark. You know, and just and just and just watch because you can get in and out and never bother anything. So that makes it even. So if you if you don't get off work till five, let, let's say you get okay, you, your boss lets you off in Baton Rouge. You're coming to Wilkinson County. You get off at four. Everything's in the truck. Pedal to the metal, and you don't get up till five. But it gets dark at five forty-five. You got forty-five minutes. You ease in that stand. Hey, you may kill the biggest deer of your life, and because you set up your place right. So it's so much that can go into it, and, and that kind of stuff really does work. You know, when we're talking about a dream place and, and picking our best place, I'm just going down going down my list. You know, every place, you know, you got to have food, water, and cover. Um, so uh, food, we control. We can put, uh, you know, we can work on our habitat. We can put feeders. We can put uh, good plots in, uh, good food in our plots. Uh, water, you know, if it doesn't have a creek, you need to have some type of water source on the place. Uh, it's pretty easy to dig some ponds and do some things. Uh, I've even seen it getting pretty popular, you know, putting water troughs buried into a place. I've actually, I've not done any of that here in the south, and I'm actually going to start to see, just, 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 just to see how it yeah. works. You know, last year I did my first scrape tree in the yeah. south. I did them yeah. in, I did them in, uh, y'all probably saw a lot of that on, on mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, and I did a lot of that um in the Midwest over the years. And it's just really cool because let's say I have a three acre food plot and like on my place, I have a bow hunting box stand and I got to get that. I'd like that deer to be a 30 yards. I'd like him. So I'm going to put my scrape tree there at 20, 25, 30, whatever it is. And you know, it, if he comes in that end of the plot, he's usually going to stop by and also a great place to put your trail camera up. Yeah. It's not on feed or something like that. Maybe it's a deer that comes in and doesn't like to come to the feeder, which happens. He'll come by that scrape tree. And also, you know, like with us, with filming or whatever, if you're bow hunting, you know, it's it, it makes it easy to draw. He's going to stop. He's going to do that sort of thing. A lot of times what I do, uh, whenever if I'm in there early, I'll go pee in that scrape tree myself before I get in and, and get in uh <laughs> And, and and make them stop by there and it works i'm telling you son i got the pictures to prove it especially in the midwest and uh it's working here good in the south so um a lot of cool things you can do uh but i would like to put in one of those uh water tanks in one of my food pots that didn't have any water by it to see how much the pitcher activity how much they actually came by there uh, of course you got to put water in them if it's yeah. not raining much um and of course cover you know ryan has heard me say it a million times Deer don't live in pretty. Deer live in ugly. And what is ugly? It's either overgrown understory or or um, big thickets or cutovers or whatever. Deer are bone down trees. Deer live in ugly. You need some ugly on your place. Let me repeat that again. You need to put some ugly on your place. Deer like ugly. But hey, if your neighbor, I'm looking at a map of my place right here on Onyx. I mean, my neighbor on one side of my place has got a 100-acre cutover. There's my ugly. I don't need ugly by that plot because it's literally 150 yards outside back of my plot, so that works. Um, you know, and, and there's so much we can't control when it comes to deer. I'm a huge scent guy. I mean, like, and one of the reasons I ask is because, look, I can't control when the deer move. I can't control the weather. I can't control the rut. I can control my preparation. I can make sure my bow or gun shooting good. Mm-hmm. I can make sure that my scent is taken care of. You know, just one thing, you can believe in it or not, but if you take a good bow hunter in the south, guess what? He takes care of his scent control. So we can eliminate that. Okay, we did good with our scent control. And uh, and, and to me, scent control is either all or none. If you, if you oh, yeah, I sprayed down. I got my my clothes on, I put it in the ozone system, and then you walk in when we're cooking bacon, you might as well not have done any of that. Like, like you got to be, you got to be a sent Nazi about it. Uh, new Ryan hadn't even experienced that yet. He's going to experience that this fall. 
Um, you but going along with the things you can control, we can control how we set up our places to make it make them more enjoyable. Uh, they'll be more valuable. Um, they'll be uh, and, and just you can have better success on them. It, speaking of more valuable, I'm getting ready to hopefully put a place on the market in Amit County that I designed from every inch of it. And it's the weirdest thing. Whenever I get ready to sell it, usually somebody will say, well, what would you do for Everett Slade? Well, I did it. <laughs> like, uh, like, like there's not going to be a lot said, you know, um, because it, it, it definitely works. So that's cool. But now going back to what you were saying on, you, know, you went through the list of all of the things that you can control. And I've heard you say it multiple times. That would, when you do all of those little things right, it ended up work and it ends up working. That makes it 10 times better. Oh yeah. See, <laughs> The, the preparation for deer, I mean, pulling the trigger and all that, that yeah. that's, of course, fun. But that's like, um, you talk to anybody who's won, won any state championship or Super Bowl or game, whatever, you, you name it, like, that was fun. But looking back after you got done, the preparation, the sweat. I watched Centerville Academy football. I rode by there yesterday, and they were out there sweating. You look back at all that sweat when you smoke somebody, you know, in the, in the playoffs, and you're like, I'm glad I did that. And it's the same way, you know, like – I've got Milo and Brown Top planted at my place right now. Was gonna do some uh, cow peas, but the darn army worms are so bad. I may not. But you do all that, and you, you buy the right place, and you do all this. You know that's that's life, man. That that's that's doing. Or you do all this stuff, and you bring like I can't wait one day when Lori kills a big deer on our mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. That'll probably be or Asa yeah. or Bentley or you know who. Whenever they kill a big deer yeah. on our place, I think it'll be that much fun. I mean. I remember sitting in my, I've said this on podcasts before, when every time I'm sitting in my house and look out my front door and I see deer standing in the field or up at the feeder or crossing the road, I'm like, I've made it. This is what I want. You know, and it and and just with that, it make you look back at oh how, you know, working extra after five on real estate or working on a Saturday or working getting up early and working to be able to afford a place like that, it makes it all worth mm-hmm. it because that's that's what you want it. Um, but you know, there's so many things going back that we can't control. Uh, we can't, you know, if we quit pulling a trigger, we can help control the age. So we can do a little bit of that, but we can't control what the neighbors shoot. Genetics, they're going to be what they're going to be where we are. We're not going, we ain't God and we ain't going to affect your genetics. Now, I, I think you can shoot some of the right deer and, and help, but it's, it, 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 you're not going to significantly affect them in a fair chase environment and nutrition. We can't affect that. We can put a lot of food out there. We can develop our habitat to where, um, you know, to, to make our places better. I'm a little different. I'm not a real, real naturalist when it comes to habitat and let me, uh, to, with certain things. For instance, I see people take nice food plots and then they plant all these fruit trees in them. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. All the fruit that those things ever produce in a year, I could put five more bags of corn or protein in a, in a feeder and accomplish that and not have to bush hog around them, not have to take care of them, not have the deer hook them down, and not have to... All those things that come to it. I just... My theory on yeah. some things. Now, I love uh, planting oaks and things like that. Like, I got about a bunch of sawtooths on my place. And I love stuff like that more... That's more natural mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. than, than than these random fruit trees. Now, if you do like an orchard of, of um, uh, I'm drawing a blank uh, of of um, persimmons or something mm-hmm. like that. You know that that may be a little different, but I, just one random or two random fruit trees in a plot, I think you're just wasting space to put other food down. Um, so I, I'm I'm a, I'm a little different than that. Um, I'm going down my list, making sure I got everything. Like we said earlier, I want to, you know, if you if you have a, I don't have, like on most of my places, it's me and very few people hunting. So I set it up to maximum kill. Your place, you may need to set up to set maximum butts in the stand and, and, and with all these other things in consideration, but that in consideration too. So, you know, those are, you know, you, I have people that, hey, look, I got four kids and every one of them got to have their own plot. Okay, we'll set it up that way, and we'll keep all these other things in mind. Um, one thing with the big plots, like if you let's say you have a you're extremely unfortunate and you have a thousand acres. Okay, how many food plots do I need on a thousand acres, slave? 
eight or ten. If you put big food plots with a lot of food in there and you have less pieces on the chessboard, the deer are easier to kill. They're going to visit a couple of the fields. That's just how it is. They're going to visit a couple of the fields. So if you have, let's say your thousand acres had 20 food plots and you said, all right, Slade, do what you want to do. And we put 10 there. Guess what? Twice as good a chance when he does decide to step out in daylight, you'll be in one of those plots as opposed to 20. So, you know, we can create those things. There's if you and if you watch the people that kill a lot of big deer, like Lee Lukowski, uh, Mark Drury, those sort of things, this is what they're doing. It's different in the South. I'm trying to think of a good example in the South, but I can take you to people's places that you don't know that aren't TV celebrities and take you to their places where they kill a bunch of deer. And guess what? They're killing them like this on these big fields. They're yep. doing these things right. Now, there may be some people out there listening to this that, that are like naturalists and, oh, I, I don't want, that's just, I want to hunt acre and flats and I want to do that. Great. That, that's great. I have a huge work ethic with work. So when I go, I want to see a lot of deer. I want to, you know, predict when I can go kill one. And this is how I do it. Now, if I just had all the time in the world and, and, and didn't do this, I'd probably want to get my bow and just go kill one natural on public mm-hmm. land just to see if I could. I, I think I could, but I don't have that kind of time, yeah. so this is the way I do it. And a lot of our clients are the same way. If they're fortunate enough to be able to afford a big piece of land, they usually have a business or a mm-hmm. job mm-hmm. where they can't, you know, they need to maximize their time. Yeah. And, and so um, those things are important. You get, what, what else you got on your list we need to go down to? Well, my last thing was, you know, kind of tied it into a real estate standpoint when you're looking for that property. What in your mind, because, you know, you've been around deer hunting for so long, you've been around real estate for so long. He acts like I'm so old. <laughs> well, okay, well, what? You've been around deer hunting f- yeah. for at least 30 years, 35 right. years. Um, and then real estate for about, what, 13, 15? 15. Yeah. So, you know, tying those in together, what is the number one thing, buying or selling, that you see that stands out the most from a deer hunting aspect when you're looking at a property? There's something that older agents and, and no nobody gets yet because it's so new. I, me and Ryan and other people talk about this all the time. I've been doing real estate 15 years, but really the way real estate is bought and marketing is done now has extremely much changed in the past 10, but definitely in the last five, three, four it's really changed. And what I mean by that is if I post a piece of property online or on social media or all of the above, and I got a bunch of deer pictures, good mm-hmm, deer pictures, mm-hmm. you know, the comments, the shares, the, the activity, proven history is yeah. huge. Just like people don't have to wonder what can I do on that place here? Look, 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 yeah. look what's been done. Um, and I'm going to tell you, the difference between trail camera pictures that came from 2017 and 2018 and ones that came from 2021 or like right now, Ryan and I, now that the deer are getting pretty close to, you know, getting some pretty good horns on them here in the South, we'll start looking into trail camera pictures for 2021. If a client can look in August and say, good Lord, that sucker's on there right now. I could buy that, close on it in September and be hunting him October 1st. That means something. And I know it means something to me. You know, when I go buy a piece of property and somebody shows me a big old trail camera picture, did he make it? Yeah, yeah, he's still alive. He was alive in February. And that that makes a difference. Yeah. So so a history, hunting property today is bought, you know, this is an emotional thing. This is, this is people, you know, they calculate it and make smart decisions and we help them with that. But this is an emotional thing. And uh, it's a lot easier to get emotional about a 170-inch deer than it is a 105-inch deer. You know, yeah. you know, I mean, and that, and, and, um, or a place with lots of deer or lots of deer sign, uh, you know, if you're getting ready to sell your place and we ride up there and all your feeders are full and everything looks good and there's deer tracks and stuff mm-hmm. everywhere, mm-hmm. that means something to clients. Now, Ryan and I are fortunate to, we've on enough properties. You can kind of look through the weeds a little bit and see the potential because yeah. I've had clients that man, there just ain't no deer tracks out here. I'm like, trust me, trust me. This is big deer, a lot of deer area. I don't need to see the deer tracks to know yeah, what's here. Yeah. Like, like, 
and let me, the, the difference between a lot of deer tracks on road and a little bit of deer tracks is maybe there's a feeder down there or maybe the neighbor's got a feeder. I mean, you got to look at an area in general. Like I told somebody the other day, I said, listen, <coughs> I can't sell you a track of land west of 61 in Woodville or in Wilkeson County in general that doesn't have a bunch of deer. Yeah. I can't sell it to you because yeah. it really doesn't exist. Now, you, do you have some that are way better than others? Absolutely. And that's a lot of times controlled by your neighbors. But in general, I can't sell you a piece of land in Wilkeson County that doesn't have a lot of deer. In Amick County, too, some more than others. And when I tell clients, are shocked when I tell them things sometimes and I say if you do these things this is how many deer you can see in your plots this is how many and I say that in confidence is I've done it when I bought my personal place that I live on and I bought a bunch of places but just for instance this place I told my dad I said there's just not a lot of deer here I couldn't be more than wrong right now like I had 15 in bow range in January like like within 40 um you know I got uh I mean, there'll be seven, eight, and ten deer standing at a feeder in front of the house. Uh, and it's the same way across the road. Another track I got is the same way down the road. So so when I tell clients, this is what you can do, but it's a big asterisk, if you do these yeah. things. Yeah. If you, the, the complaint I get, well, you enjoy, I call my clients, you enjoying your place? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're not seeing a whole lot of deer. And, 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 and Slate, I don't, I don't really know why. And I say, all right, tell me about your typical weekend. Well, we get there on Friday. The kids like to go check the trail cameras, ride the four-wheelers, you know, rip and roll for a little while, and then we usually start hunting on Saturday. Well, there you there's go. Answer. There, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that, but you you can't rip and roll and ride four-wheelers all over your place and go check everything and then expect to have good deer hunting the next day. I remember first time I was out at Tatum, we were kind of riding around. You were explaining some different things, and I can remember you saying, you know, it's almost as if with deer – they're almost like dogs. You can train them just the same. Mm-hmm. And when you do things consistently the right way, not pulling the trigger nonstop, it's just like training a dog. And I I remember you saying that, and I haven't forgotten about that and, one. And, what, and, and, and a little bit more about what Ryan's saying is, for instance, you take activity around a camp. Let's say you go to your camp a lot. You go to your camp a lot. You're there all the time. You get used to it. You can play music. You can rip and roll or whatever. Deer get, heck, deer get used to shooting guns. That mm-hmm. we got a gun, uh, the skeet club down by yep. Scott Scott's yep. house. Those yep. deer walk out in the field when they're shooting, yep. ske- like literally when they're shooting skeet. The the pebbles may hit them. I mean, the, <laughs> the pellets may hit them. Excuse yeah. Um, you know, they can get used to anything. So you have to look at the environment they live in. Let's say you have a really remote place and they never see you, hear you, whatever. You go to ripping and rolling out there. You you can't train them. I mean, yeah, yeah. If you started last year, you yeah. may could train them. Uh, I remember low fence, high fence, you whatever. I remember the first time I ever saw a spin feeder on the back of a buggy in Texas or truck in Texas, and the deer ran yeah. in the road behind you after you got <laughs> done. I said that never work in Mississippi. Yeah, it will. Yeah. Like I have deer on places that I hunt that when they see my yellow buggy coming because I've been feeding out there for years on a buggy. I see them in the woods like the feeder's empty. Hurry up. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I've seen that. I didn't do that. You know, call it you like it. Oh, you're shooting pets all you want. I'm just, I'm just telling you facts. Um, but, uh, and, and everywhere's different. There's a, there's a place that we just contracted today that I can't say yet, but it's a nice place. But you, those deer, you remember when we were on the creek that day and they crossed the creek yep. right behind us? Yeah. I've gone down to that same area and those deer will watch you ride around in a buggy. And it's because the neighbor feeds out of his buggy a couple of days a week, his caretaker does. And so they get used to a little bit of everything. Like my house, when I first started going out there, them deer would freak out. Now Asa and I can shoot basketball. We can rip, me and Asa ride the four-wheeler. We'll go make a lap around the place, come back 30 minutes later, deer standing in the front field. They get used to, they get used to, they get used to dogs barking. They get used to a lot of stuff. So to Ryan's point, yeah, you can train them. Uh, a a little bit every you know a little bit to everything um i mean in the midwest i've seen uh i got buddies of mine that actually we go you know we'll plant corn up there and then we'll go mow it perfectly legal we'll go mow that corn with a bush hog or whatever those deer get used to the equipment they get used to the smell and the sound of that i've i got buddies of mine that uh they get make their hunting partners drive the tractor they will ride on the bush hog and step out on the stand, like step out on the stand because they know it works that good. 
So it's that's what makes it so fun. Every place is different. Every, every everything is done a little different. It's just like cows or, or or horses. You know, if you got a guy like like okay track I was on the other day, the neighbor checks his cows twice a day every day. So guess what? Yeah. Trucks does not bother yeah. anything out there because they see it constantly. So you you, know, you got to consider your place and your situation, what they get used to. You can't go two weeks before deer season; they get used to mm-hmm. something like that. That mm-hmm. they don't work like that. It takes yeah. you know, it takes two years maybe. Yeah. So there's always things you can learn and things you can, um, like you said, train. You can train them like train them like a dog. There, you know, that's uh, they get used to a little bit of everything. Let me see what we did. We have anything on your list we didn't cover? That was about it. So about just it. before we get to the hundred million dollar question, which we will do today, getting back to let's summarize this. Okay, um, you got to have your food out there. I believe that the best way to do that is having your big food plots, your grocery stores. What comes to your grocery stores? A lot of the girls during the fall, during the rut, what makes the bucks come there, and the bucks come there for food too. Um, I feel like you can get the local bucks there at any good weather front if you're treating your place right. But the, during the rut and you get all those girls, you get your randoms. You get the deer you only get on camera once yeah. or twice a year. You get that deer when you're hunting on a good afternoon. He just shows up because he knew when he came when mm-hmm. he was three-year-old that there was a lot of girls there, so he just shows up. And if you create on your place these big plots with food and feeders and all this, if you create oh, and a good atmosphere from a um, pressure standpoint, if you create what your neighbors don't have, you will have better deer hunting and, and better places than your neighbors have. So if you create a scenario better than your neighbors, you're going to have what your neighbors don't have. Yeah, that's that. That's easy. So, if you got if you only got eighty acres to hunt, well, if you've got the best eighty acres in that thousand acre block, you know you'll you'll be able to hold more deer. You'll be able to see more deer. Now, are you trading deer with your neighbors? Absolutely, but they're coming by you. So, if you do what you can with what you have, so it doesn't matter if you got forty or a thousand acres, you can always make it better. You can always do the right things. I mean, seriously, if you can buy a ten acre block of land. And put you a five acre food plot yeah. on it and have an unbelievable yeah. spot to hunt. Because you guess what? That the deer don't know where the property lines are. They don't care. You know, and, and so uh you know, that that could be a negative to the guy who owns a thousand acres, yeah. but you yeah. can sure do it. Uh, that's the reason high fences go up sometimes. <laughs> but uh so, you know, create if you create the things your neighbors don't have, you'll have things that, that they don't have. Uh, pressure is huge, you know, ingress and egress, man. If you can set up a plot where you can get in and out without ever spooking your, yeah. if that means planting something, if that means pushing up a dozer pile in front of your stand, if that means setting your box stand back in the timber a little bit and having a trail that comes to the back, all these things make such a big difference. Uh, and, and, and it, if you can, if you can ingress and egress without ever spooking them, then it just becomes a mathematical equation. If he's coming on camera every couple of days, well, just keep going. And then it's not if you're going to kill him, it's when. Yeah. Um, so I think do your homework online. And, if you, you know, most of, of our listeners probably aren't aren't as professional maps and stuff as we are. That's why if you're looking for a track of land or heck, if, if anybody listening ever just, I love this stuff. I yeah. love setting up a place. I, 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 you know, Hey, send me a map of your place. I'll help you out if I get time. Um, but, uh, it's not too, too hard to do. And, 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 and you can do it on your computer and then go check it on your own place and see what works. See why I'm huge on why, when I look at a place like if I ride across a deer trail or, or a couple of deer trails, I walk, if it's not right in the middle of hunting season, I walk them out. Why are they coming here? Why are they doing this? Because there's always a why. You know, oh, okay, they're doing that because the creek gets shallow right there and they're crossing. Oh, oh they're doing that because uh, the neighbor's fence is cut right here. Or they're doing that because that acorn tree is dropping like crazy. Yeah. Or there's a feeder or food plot, you name it. Um, or they may be doing that because you're spending too much time over here making them go over there. So uh, back to pressure. So this is the part of the show Ryan, I guess, has been waiting on. He gets to spend his $100 million a day. Ryan, you got $100 million. <laughs> Mary McLean has got her beach house. You, you bought her beach house with, with see, $98 million now. Uh, you bought your paw-in-law. What, 
he don't need yeah. nothing. He don't need nothing. No. You still got ninety eight million. He don't need yeah, nothing. Yeah, I think he's good. I think he's good. So you got ninety eight million. You start with a hundred. Mary McLean's got a two million dollar beach house, and and um and now we get to go buy hunting property. Where are we buying and why? Well, I guess this goes back from what I said earlier about me having a different perspective because I've really only been in the real world for about a year now. So I would definitely go find a place around close to home in Mississippi. Go get about 100 acres, nice house, build my dream home. You got $98 million. You just spent $300,000. I'm not finished. I'm not finished. And then the... I love deer hunting, but but I would have to say right now, my passion right now would be duck hunting. So I'm definitely going into Arkansas. I'm getting a bunch of land with a big lodge because the one thing I like about duck hunting is you can get out there with a bunch of your family, a bunch of your friends. You can get out there with six or seven of your buddies, hang around, talk while you're hunting, have a good time. So I need a big lodge for everybody to come up and stay. So I'm getting a bunch of duck hunting land. And then I'd probably say... I'd probably say somewhere out in Kansas. That way I could kind of have a little bit best of both worlds, have some good deer hunting spots while also having some good duck hunting spots. So getting a little bit of best of both worlds. And then whatever I had left over, I'd come back home with. Well, you know, you could go by, uh, what's that place that uh, Whitetail's got? It's real high price right now. Uh, uh, you know, uh, where T-Bone and, and Nick killed a big deer last year. Well, anyway, Whitetail Properties has it for sale right now. And it's uh it's thirty two million, and it's two hundred inch deer and and loaded with ducks, turkeys, and everything. So you could get everything there. So so you could spend your thirty two there, and then you still you know you still got what seventy yeah. million. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of money. And remember, that's a lot of money. <laughs> remember, we can take you know we can take one million of that and buy your plane. So location, you know, location is not as important. I guess when See, you he hasn't breaking, been in the real world long to, enough to, to know understand, all this. Yeah, good lord! I guess when you start breaking it down, a hundred million dollars—that's a lot of money. It do a lot of things. It, it don't. It don't matter how you break it down. It do a, a lot, lot of things. That's a lot of things. I could have really fun spending it. I definitely having a place where I could do mainly, like you said, having a little bit of everything, like. I was at Southside yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a place like that where you can go deer, duck, turkey, squirrel, do whatever. I mean, whatever if you, you can, can do think it in of. Mississippi, you can do it there. Yeah, Fishing. exactly. And that's, I mean, something like that is, it's hard to beat. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you can have all of that in one general location to where you can just get on the buggy and go anywhere you want to go and hunt any different animal. I mean, that's. That's top of the line for sure. See, now we're selling a little real estate. He was at Southside yesterday. Southside's a share club we have. And, it, <laughs> dude, it, it's bad. It's bad. Um, every time I leave there, I go to talk my, I have to talk myself out of buying a yeah. share. Because, like Ryan said, you can kill giant deer. I mean, giant deer right on the banks of the Mississippi River plus the, the hills. You can kill ducks. I mean, all those deer down there and ducks, they got soybeans growing and all right now. You got awesome duck hunting. You got awesome turkey hunting. You got flat as a pancake ground. You got cypress sloughs, and you got big old ridges that Jefferson Adams yeah. County is known yeah. for. So it's it's a really cool thing. And the cool thing about the Share Club is a guy like me could afford to hunt on that $10 million mm-hmm, piece of property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, most of us will never get to experience hunting a $10 million piece of property, but Buying a share of it, yeah. you can. Now, yeah. is there negative share? Absolutely. Yeah. But though, that that particular club, and there's a lot of good clubs. Diamond Island's good. That, uh, but it, it's a really cool. And that plate, like you said, you unique. can do everything there. Yeah, unique. I was cracking up yesterday because the guy I was with, and we pulled in the gate, and he immediately started looking for the deer tracks and all that. And he, you know, he mentioned, man, I don't, I don't see a lot of deer tracks right now. Is there a bunch of deer out there? I I almost started laughing. I kind of, I said, just wait, just wait. Mm-hmm. We go down, get in them soybean fields, and it was, you couldn't look at a spot where there wasn't deer tracks. Mm-hmm. And he, I, you could just see his face just lit up. And I said, yeah. they got him out here, to yep. say the least. Were y'all able to get like, to, to the big duck holes in the bottom? Yeah, we, it was still real wet. Uh, so we tried to get about as close as we could, but we could kind of see through the timber a little bit, kind of see, and you know, I pulled up the ONX app and, and showed him kind of where the, the holes were, but I'm I'm interested to see this uh this hole everybody's been talking about. 
Oh yeah, well hopefully we'll get <laughs> hopefully we'll get to go film out there and, that and go get w- let me, go get to hunt the best duck hole south of Stuttgart. That's what they say. I've had several people say that. That's what so they say. I'd love to go experience something like that. Well, Ryan has uh, he's bought him some duck hunting property, uh, possibly in Kansas, but definitely in Arkansas. He bought him. 100 acres around here he can come buy my 100 acres and i'll go buy something else <laughs> if he's got 100 million bucks but um and he bought mary mcclain her beach house so we took care of her and uh paul-in-law doesn't need nothing well uh well we definitely covered a lot of things when it comes to setting up your ultimate hunting property uh there is no right or wrong way to do it these ways have worked for me every place is different you may have tried some of this stuff that didn't work but it works most of the time if anybody ever has a question we like to talk about this stuff this is what we like to do um you know i actually i've done this for a lot of landowners you know i I had i still have a wildlife consulting business i do a little bit with but mainly just help my clients with stuff but um it works. You treat a place right, and it'll, and it'll reward you back. So uh, that's going to be it for Episode 11 of the Hunting Land Man Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Y'all have a blessed day, and thank you for Southern Ag Credit for, uh, for taking care of us. And here we go. Hey, thank you for listening to the Hunting Land Man Podcast. If you will, take a moment. Give us a five-star written view, guys. This really helps us out. And if you know anybody you think will be interested in this podcast, please share it with them.